today's lesson, if you'll turn to James chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 7 for the setting of our lesson. James chapter 2, 1 through 7. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and you say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brother, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world? To be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? This morning, we're going to look at James addressing what we call favoritism, I think the King James Version uses the word partiality. It's interesting to me, in the book of James, and I've done this before, that a lot of times uh, in studying the Bible with a new Christian, I'll have an open Bible study, and many times I've just taken them through studying the book of James. Very practical. And when we get to the section about favoritism and partiality, all kinds of questions come up in the minds of new converts because it addresses an issue that probably for the first time in their life they've been aware of and been guilty of. Okay. And so, what we're going to do is look at what James has to say and recognize that all of us are challenged with this in different ways. And, and it becomes a wave up which it's very personal. And we have to ask ourselves the question. Am I guilty of this? And if so, what in my thought life and in my Christian practice needs to change so I'm not guilty of this? Um, I want you to notice that he starts the section off in verse 2. Uh, suppose a man comes into your meeting. Uh, literally, in your Bible may be a translation uh, that, it, that it literally starts off with the word if. You know, if a man comes into your assembly. Now, the Greeks were interesting. Uh, they had a lot of different things in their language and grammar that we in English um, don't highlight a whole lot. But the Greeks had four different kinds of ifs. <laughs> and, and let me explain to you real quick. This will be a grammar lesson real quick. And then show you which one of the ifs that James used. Sometimes they'll use an if. To talk about if, in fact, something is presumed to be true. You know, if so and so. Well, yeah, it's probable true. Or they'll use it if, if, in fact, it's not true. They'll use that kind of if. Or it's very likely to be true in the future. Or it describes the if of a general condition. Just generally, this is what's going on. And then the fourth if, it's very unlikely that it really will happen in the future. Yeah, likely. If I ever win the jackpot, <laughs> well, after you go, 
when I use Gambia, that's very unlikely that I'm going to get to do anything in China. First of all, I don't play with Gambia, so um, so they they really highlighted this one of the time. So in our lesson, James is going to use the third time. If in fact it's true, he says, I generally believe it is the case, and in fact, and it's almost as if he's saying it this way because he has heard that it's going on, though he hasn't seen it himself. And, and when I when I saw this this week, what immediately jumped in my mind is how Paul responded to the Corinthian church. He he was addressing things he heard from the household of Chloe. And this almost sounds like James has heard some stuff too. Though he doesn't tell us who's hurt. So it, it's it's a general case of okay, suppose a man, if a man, which in fact I heard this is going on. So some behavior, this it made me think about this. Some behavior and thinking is so wrong in the mind of the epistle writer of the New Testament that they don't have to be there in person to deal with it. <laughs> have you noticed that? Paul did it. There's some things that are so wrong, he didn't have to be there in person to shake them up. No, no, no. We're going to deal with it right now, right? In fact, James feels so strongly about this that he begins chapter 2 and verse 1 with a negative command. Do not hold your faith. And I don't really like the way the NIV translates. Do not hold your faith in Partiality. It's a negative command. Don't hold your faith in partiality. Don't hold the faith of our Lord by showing favoritism. So what what does favoritism look like? Well, let's use as a starting point uh, to talk about what apparently people are seeing, and then we'll talk a little bit about the practice going on. But he described a person that comes into the congregation. He says they, they're dressed in fine clothes and have a gold ring. Now, it's interesting because really the expression gold ring is not a noun. It's like a gold ring person. And, and I get the impression because it's an attitude that it's almost a situation. You may have seen this too, where the person's got a ring on every finger so everybody can notice. <laughs> so that when they walk in, okay, they got on fine clothes and they got all the rings, everybody can see. Opposed to the person is described as poor, wearing shabby clothes, and the word shabby can have with it the idea of dirty, uh, shabby, uh, torn, old, so, and, and, and I like this word shabby because it probably is a good English word to describe the, the, the picture that James is trying to present to you. So you've got that kind of person coming into the assembly. Now, the assembly here, the word assembly or meeting, is the word that we get our English word synagogue from. And this is the only place in the New Testament where a Christian worship assembly is described by the word synagogue. And I think the reason for that is because all your Christians here, they're Jewish. You know, they, they're Jewish converts to Christianity, so they would know what the synagogue is. And, and the interesting question is, it makes you wonder uh, what practices 
in the typical Jewish synagogue rolled over into the Christian symbol. And, and there are some and Christian historians uh, have highlighted some of these, and that's a whole other study. But certainly the role of scripture being read out loud was a practice that Jewish Christians were used to all growing up. Well, guess what? When you come into the Christian assembly, that didn't change. There's still going to be scripture read out loud. So there's interesting parallels there. But it's a Jewish Christian congregation. And because of that, in many places all over the Greco Roman Empire, where Jewish synagogues would pop up, um, usually people that went to the synagogue were movers and shakers in Jewish society. And you always wore your best. Now, I want you to think about it. Did you all grow up wearing your Sunday best? <laughs> Remember what that meant? <laughs> Okay, you have, to, you have to go to church wherever the Sunday best. Well, that kind of thing, he was also with the Jewish community. You know, you didn't come in with your work clothes on. You didn't come in with shabby, dirty, torn clothes. You went to the synagogue, you know, with your synagogue best. And that's what they grew up with. So it was hard for them to think in terms of someone coming in off the street. You just didn't do that. And James recognizes that the Christian community now, and I want you to think about this with the church. The church, the Christian community is founded on something. It's not who you're connected with. It's not how rich you are. It's not how nice you look. Doesn't matter if you're something. James is trying to undercut all those old ways of thinking when you assemble to worship God. And so apparently this is going on uh, in this congregation. But he says, if you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes, and you say, here's a good seat for you. So presumably, uh, it sounds like, as it was in the synagogue, there were uh, places of seats where, of prominence, where uh, the, the good people would sit, you know, and the people who have influence, they would sit up on the good seat. But, then, but apparently, then he says, um, for the one who is the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. And I want to talk about that in just a moment. But um, let's talk about um, favoritism from the Old Testament. I want to use a good model. And we understand this when we see it happen. In Genesis 37, verses 3 and 4, you may remember Joseph with his many colored coat. And you know that story. The Hebrew word is interesting. It can mean one thing. It can mean a cloth of many colors, or it can mean a, a really long uh, robe that has all kinds of embellishments on it. Uh, maybe it was both. Maybe it was that big robe that showed favoritism that they made for him, and it would be different colors. I don't know if it has to be one or the other. But listen to what the Bible says. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Talk about favoritism. Because he had been born to him in his old days, and he made him, and the NIV says, the ornate robe. So think about an ornate robe with all these flashy colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. Wasn't just like they were upset, that they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. 
Well, you talk about, about a bad setting for favoritism. And we know that story, don't we? So they just as soon as they could, they got rid of it. So the rich man in this particular setting is one who has recognition because of what he's wearing and most likely prominence in the community. The poor man, though, here in James 2, is filthy and dirty and shattered. So why is this off-putting to other people? Why is this kind of dress and kind of person offensive to others? And, and I thought about that, and I, and I want to throw out some ideas that have to do with attitudes and perceptions and see if you struggle with that. Sometimes when we see people down and out in situations that we don't think they should be in, our first immediate response is, what in the world is happening to that person when you're getting that shit? If they were a person of integrity, they'd never let themselves get that way started. If they had all their act together, they wouldn't be like that. Um, all they need to do is make the right choices, and that wouldn't happen. You know, <laughs> we have all these things, we hear these thoughts going through our heads. Well, it challenges, we didn't hear this, it challenges our attitudes and thoughts about people who are down and out who come into the assembly. How do we treat them? Now, of course, by extension, I think if James were sitting there on the front seat and engaging in conversations about it's not limited just to the assembly, but as you as you leave the assembly, this needs to be your attitude and mindset with everybody. Well, of course it does. It's interesting that with the poor man, the action of partiality there is a demeaning one. Stand over there, out of the way. Or, have you noticed it says, sit at my feet? Literally, it's to sit on my footstool or to become my footstool. Um, in the ancient world, a footstool and you know this, we, we kind of use this even if you've got a chair that doesn't fit too well. Uh, when you're sitting, you need your feet popped up. You have to put some well, in, in the New Testament, it's interesting that both the earth and Satan uh, are the footstool for Jesus. A footstool would demonstrate uh, power, authority, position over someone. You didn't want to be perceived as a footstool for anybody. Okay? So, how do we treat people? Uh, Proverbs 14.31 Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. So we need to hear this. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors his maker. So how we treat people? Because remember, I mean, we hear this a lot. I mean, it's depressing. We hear a lot in our prayers. People will say, Lord, we pray for those that are less fortunate than we are. <laughs> but guess what? I think we yeah. have a flip side of that prayer. Lord, help us in our attitude toward those who are less fortunate than we are. <laughs> you help them and you help us. Because <laughs> we need to be thinking right toward them. Okay? Um, favoritism is forbidden because it's discrimination. It's concerns with the question. Have you not been discriminating among yourself? And this word for discrimination means a withdrawing from someone, making a clear distinction. I don't want to have anything to do with you, and I don't want people to think I'm associated with you. That's discrimination. 
Now, typically, we're so familiar with the word and have been for years as it relates to ethnic relations between people. And it certainly does include that. Any expression of discrimination is wrong. And the church needs to say that, and Christians need to hear that more and more and more. Uh, but it's not just that sense. For James, it has to do with how you treat people that you perceive visually are less fortunate than you. How do you treat them? From the time we become a Christian, we lose our lens of discrimination. And let, let me share with you a verse. Galatians 3.28. Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. You're all one in Christ. We're the same. Same guy. No difference. Romans 2.11. I love this. For God shows no partiality. You want to know why we need to have a life of non-judgmentalism and not be partial toward others? Because God's that way. Oh, okay. Listen to 1 Samuel 16, 7. And you may recall Samuel being chosen by God as a prophet in the Old Testament. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. That's what James is dealing with. But the Lord looks on the heart. Aren't we so glad that our work is not based on people looking at our outward appearance? Even as hard as we try to look presentable. <laughs> okay. Our value is not based on that. I'm telling you. Hollywood doesn't understand that. It's all every movie, movie star, everything based on outward appearance. Not your value. Favoritism is forbidden because James says, and this disclosure mind. When you're engaged in it, you're judging with evil thoughts. That's his word. In James, the book of James, evil is attributed to our thoughts when they're wrong. The negative tongue when it says stuff that's wrong and planning for the future about God, without God. Um, when I get through reading James, I sit back and I think about, boy, he's got a little bit different view of evil than I've had growing up. Because uh, I would never see myself as evil. I don't do all the wicked, bad things in the world that other people do. Well, look, look at how he's going to use this. Our thought life. Our tongue life, <laughs> okay, and and how we treat others, all of this can either be, as James would say, righteous or evil. Evil thoughts mean that God is aware of and he holds us accountable for our thought world and what we think of others. And I think, honestly, it was years before down deep I really accepted it. You know, you hear yourself saying it, but do you down deep in your heart accept that? That God is aware of and he holds each of us accountable for our thought world and what we think of other people. Ooh. Now, we ran into that in Hebrews, didn't we? That the word of God is what? It's like a two-edged sword. It cuts right and left, cuts down to the, the marrow and the bone. Discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what God does. 
And I don't think sometimes as Christians, we hold that awareness right in front of us and take it seriously. Because if we did, we might be saying good things differently. Favoritism is forbidden because, and this is interesting, it dishonors the poor. This is a significant theme all through the Bible. How does God come, God's covenant people treat the poor? Very important question. In the Old Testament, over 100 times, the biblical writers address the plight of the poor and God's people's response to the poor. Listen to Zechariah 17. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. <clears throat> uh, it's a mistake to say that the Old Testament, that in the Old Testament, God wasn't really concerned about what was in the heart. He only cared about external ritual. That's not true. Uh, the heart is all over the Old Testament. <laughs> but we need to be aware of that. Being in covenant relationship with God, God has always been concerned about the condition of the human heart. In the New Testament, Jesus defined part of his ministry as responding to the poor. Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And interestingly, in Luke's recording of the Beatitudes in Luke 6.20, uh, he words a little bit different than uh, Matthew does. And we assume that Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount twice. One of them, as it's portrayed, looks like it was a Sermon on the Plain, and the other one's a Sermon on the Mount. But in Luke, where he says it differently, he lifted up his eyes and his disciples to listen to what he said. Blessed are you who are poor. He doesn't say poor in spirit like Matthew. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Well, how does God see the poor in this world? James says he's chosen them to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom. It, it, it's fascinating all through Jesus' ministry and some of the letters of the New Testament. It, it, it's, it's as if the writers are, are, are presenting a dilemma. Okay, you want to be rich or poor in this life? The rich aren't open to the word of God and what God gives. The rich aren't open to the good news. Why is that? Because they're self-sufficient. They got everything that they need. They don't need God. Oh, but those who are poor, they understand their poverty. They understand how much they need. In the ancient world, the very poor were never seen as having any blessings or any value for society at large. The poorer you were, the more people looked down on you. In James, the poor were being dishonored. There's three things here. This is fascinating. They're being dishonored. They're being exploited. He doesn't tell us how, except later on in the book of James, we're going to find out that it looks like some of them may become poor because the employers were keeping back some of their paycheck. And we'll talk about when we get there. Not only exploited, but also dragged in the poor. Oh my, presumably because of debts, perhaps. And when they didn't pay, guess what? They were thrown into debtors' prison. No concern for the plight of the poor. It's hard to imagine that Christians were involved in this kind of behavior toward the poor. Somewhere along the line, 
they had really missed that impartial love of God. So here's a question that really made me ask, and I want to share it with you all. It's a practical question for all of us. How can we today honor the poor? That's a question we need to ask. How can we honor the poor? We don't despise them. We don't look down on them. We don't dishonor them. We don't exploit them. When we deserve it, don't them from the court. How can we honor them? I think we've learned today that favoritism is an attitude that shows up in the behavior toward others. We have to be sensitive to that. Those are our attitude and that behavior. Favoritism is forbidden because it's discrimination. It's forbidden because it's judging others with evil thoughts. And it's forbidden because it dishonors the poor. So as we part from these practical words, let me share this with you. Let us watch our behavior for any act of favoritism. Let us watch our thoughts for any thought of favoritism. Let us refrain from anything that looks like discrimination. We are not to judge others based on their circumstances. And we are to honor the poor and all of the less fortunate than we are. <laughs> we need to hear this and we need to hold on to it and, and understand this is very important living out our Christian faith. Isn't it? Are we ready to come to God and Jesus because our hearts need to be pruned? <laughs> this is a tough lesson. And, and each one of us probably needs to hear it uh, at a personal level. You know where you are. So let James and the Word of God here after today's lesson, let it sink into your heart and your mind. Let you kind of mull it over and see where it challenges you. And if you need the prayers of the church as an invitation or even coming to the Lord for commitment and baptism, let us stand and sing 